Good morning. We continue our, our study in spiritual discernment, moving from spiritual blindness to spiritual sightedness. And what we're focusing on today is, <clears throat> is that really that spiritual way of seeing with your heart. And your, your heart is more than just your emotions. Your heart is the control center of your being. And, and so the, the heart actually functions in such a way that what you believe, what you trust, produces the feelings that you experience. And those feelings result in decisions and behavior. So you're, you're a very complex being. And in order to be discerning, you have to begin to, to really and truly interpret well, understand well your feelings. They can't be ignored, nor can feelings simply be in charge of your life. The, the idea, again, of being responsible for yourself is that you own, you take responsibility for your feelings. You don't give that away to somebody else and say, you made me feel. You say, I'm feeling. Why am I feeling this? What am I feeling? These are, these are important things to be aware of if you're going to be spiritually discerning. Now, the greatest thing is when your beliefs, your trust, your commitments, and your feelings are in alignment with the will of God and in alignment with truth. Because what happens then is that those feelings can give you motivation can can propel you into doing what is good and in doing it well. In Luke chapter 10, 33, Jesus expresses feelings in the story of the Good Samaritan. 1033, he says, he felt, the Samaritan felt compassion on the beaten and wounded Jewish man. And he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. When Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, he talks about the father seeing his son. In Luke 15, 20, he says, when, his, when he saw his son a long way off, the father felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So emotions, biblically speaking, are extremely important. Jesus himself used the word, the word of compassion is used for Jesus. In Matthew 9, 36, he felt compassion for the crowd, seeing the crowds. He felt compassion for them. And here's what he saw. They were distressed and they were downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then again in Matthew, the compassion of Jesus is expressed when he spent three days teaching 4,000 people. And he looks at them and he says, I have compassion for this crowd. Give them something to eat. And this is when, the, uh, in this story, there were only seven loaves and just a few fishes. 
and Jesus ends up feeding 4,000. So, in other words, feelings are not your enemy, but they're also not the fire in your life. They're not, they're not necessarily, they're not really the destructive force in your life, but what they are is they are the smoke detectors of the fire. So, when you have feelings, they're sounding alarm, especially you know, when we talk about the negative feelings, they're sounding alarm that there's danger, that there's trouble, that there are issues. But the feelings themselves are not the fire. They're just the smoke detector. So here's, here's what we need to look at if we're going to cultivate a discerning heart. Whether it's the state of our relationships, or it's the circumstances of our life, feelings can tell us if things are going well for us, or they can alert us early to problems that we're facing. That You see, this is the beauty of discernment, is it can be an early alert system, early alarm system. See, when you feel close and you feel loving with somebody, and, and, and there are no checks in your spirit, there's no heaviness, well... That's a good indication that in relationship you're in sync. But if you're feeling angry all the time, if you're feeling anxious, fearful, and that's that's the smoke alarm going off, saying that there are some problems either that you know you, you haven't really examined, and these problems need to be addressed, and they probably have to be addressed with the person. That you're feeling those feelings with. I always think it's interesting how how in touch my wife is with how well or 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 how poorly our relationship is going. And she has certain code words that indicate to me that there is there's either distance between us or Basically, we haven't had the conversations we need to have, or usually it's just if we haven't spent the time together, if we haven't sat together or taken a drive together or, or gone out somewhere away from home and away from work, especially in this pandemic with home and work being inseparable. And uh, so one of the things she often says is, can we, can we just go out for a while? And what she means by that is that doing her work at home, doing the church work, doing all the different things that we do here at our house, she doesn't feel she doesn't feel that closeness with me, and so she wants to get into the car and get away, and then she can focus and she can concentrate. And when she feels close, then what happens is she gets peaceful again she feels peaceful she feels she feels really good and uh and it took me a long time actually to to learn some of this some of the code that was happening and so um i began to realize that i had to pay attention to those kind of things just small hints you see emotions while they might not by themselves tell you everything 
but they're telling you there is something that needs to be evaluated, something that needs to be examined. So the other aspect of this is you, you can't just live your life on a, on a superficial kind of emotional experience. Um, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be deep-rooted truths in your life that you're believing, that you're trusting in order for your emotions to be in alignment with reality. If what you believe is not true, then what you feel will not be real, is the idea. Now, the problem with some Christian teaching, I grew up with this, is they were so afraid of emotions in general that they called any emotion emotionalism. And for some reason, they treated emotion as if it were more tainted by sin than any other factor or any other element of your existence. For example, they didn't speak of intellectual thoughts or intellectual pursuits as tainted as emotional uh, involvement. And so it's really interesting because that what has led to is almost people denying their emotions, suppressing their emotions, but actually, but in reality, what it is, they're ignorant of how wonderful emotions are for diagnosing the state of your heart and of your soul, and how wonderful emotions are for helping you to hear or, or to know if you're actually hearing from and experiencing a closeness with God. Just like my, my wife has these clues that she gives me that we are in need of closer uh, times of conversation, closer times of togetherness. So your, your heart will tell you of the times of need of closer proximity, close, closer intimacy with God. To, you know, have a spirituality that's dissociated from your emotions is actually to cut you off from the realities of your inner life, and it's your inner life that is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. You know, God has said in His Word that He's as He is as interested in your heart as your mind, as your body, as anything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, in the conversion process, as you are born again of the Spirit. He's transforming your whole heart, the way you think, the way you feel, and how you choose. So underneath some of the surface emotions, superficial sometimes emotions, things that you things that kind of come and go. I mean I can be driving in traffic and maybe lose my temper at drivers. I can get back from that pretty quickly. That's more of a superficial thing. Or I can I can eat a good meal and, and have unbelievable pleasure from that good meal. I can't base my whole life on those superficial surface emotions. That's unstable. But rather, it's learning how to get below the surface to this deep connectedness with God. Getting to that place where His truth, His presence, His power is something I'm connected to, and not just infrequently, not just during, you know, incredible revival events, but 
day by day and moment by moment. Um, one writer that I really like is a man by Gerald May. Uh, he wrote a great book on grace and, and addiction. But he's also written some books on, on these, what's called a dark night of the soul, or the idea of, of these, intent, these times when you're desperate for God and you have these intense encounters with God. And he's saying, these, if, you, if, if you become attentive to God and to his presence, it might surprise you that during just a regular prayer time, or you might just be having a walk, or that you might be sitting on your, your back deck or your front porch or something in an evening of contemplation. And Gerald May says, then a sudden feeling of being swept up by life, caught in a suspended moment where time seems to stand still and awareness peak, becoming at once totally wide awake and open. Now, I'm not saying, again, he's not saying this happens all the time, but, but in a way, these are these, these are these breakthrough moments where you begin to realize that your heart is discerning more than surface things. That your heart is experiencing that connectedness with the presence of God, which then opens you up to experience even greater things. Can I, I want to say it this one way. If you ever noticed the contrast between being filled with the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does it contrast drunkenness with the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Well, alcohol is a depressant. So what is alcohol doing? It's making your capacity to feel less, or it's making it more depressed. So then maybe you only feel sadness or you only feel happiness or you only, but it, what it does is it narrows and depresses reality so that you can't, you know, and that's why, that's why we, that's why people go to it is, is to depress their ability to feel reality, either to feel their sadness or to feel their, their, their joy or whatever, but it depresses. What is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the ability to experience all of reality, but not in your own power. Not with your, not, not alone. Suddenly, you're experiencing all the reality of your life. You're able to face anything. You're able to do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because you don't have to depress reality. You don't have to narrow it down. You can take on anything. You become more than a conqueror. That's why the fullness of the Holy Spirit is contrasted with the depressing of emotion and the depressing of reality of getting drunk. And so this experience of opening up wider and wider yourself to the presence of God and the power of God in your life is something that many many believers avoid because they're afraid of losing control. They're afraid of they're afraid of the emotions, or they've been taught the emotions are wrong. Look, in another writer that I really like, he's an elegant writer. His name is David Benner. And he talks about being in the presence of God, experiencing the fullness of God in his life. He says, we see ourselves and the world with awesome clarity. Remember, drunkenness limits clarity. 
and all our preoccupations, concerns, and anxieties suddenly evaporate. We know God's presence in a way that has almost nothing to do with our intellect, and our feelings are equally remarkable, simply a profound sense of awe and well-being. In the intermediate zone between these two layers of feelings lie emotions that anyone can learn to discern because they are present for all of us. Here we find the place where moods, which are deeper and much more persistent than feelings, reside. This is also the home of gut feelings. You see, we're talking about developing the heart, beginning to realize that you become an instrument of the Holy Spirit, you become an instrument of truth, and he's using your whole heart, your gut feelings, your moods, all of these things as diagnostic tools, not just for yourself, but for the atmosphere that you're in, for the people you're around. In this place, Benner says, the boundary between emotions and intuition is very thin. Our knowing of what we feel at this level is not as simple as, as the knowing of our surface feelings. But unlike the knowing involved in transcendent experience, experiences, it is something that we can cultivate. See, the idea is, is, is God doesn't waste emotions. He doesn't waste your moods. He doesn't waste, you know, these gut feelings. But you have to develop a skill. This is why we've been spending so much time on discernment. You have to discern what do these things mean and what do I do with them. But today we're focused particularly on how do I govern my own emotions? How do I govern my own life? And so you have permission <laughs> really to become an effective person. You have permission to, to spend some time attending to your own feelings. You can't own something if you won't acknowledge it, if you won't attend to it. But the problem is that often we have lived such unintouched or disconnected lives from what our emotions really mean that we need help. Others who have more experience than you often can help you take the encounters you're having both with God and with people and with your own heart and explain the deeper dimensions of this. Particularly, you need to be around people and to be around places where the presence of God is manifest, where it's experienced, where the relational presence, not just the omnipresence, but the relational presence of God. Now, you can, you can certainly make your home, your apartment, your car, your shower a place where you begin to experience his relational or manifest presence. But it takes a receptive stillness on your part. There's a silence that you have. Instead of just telling God, I need this, I need this, oh God, please do this for me. There's a receptive stillness. God, you're with me. God, you're here. I want to hear from you. I want to experience you. I want to encounter you. And that the Lord has already promised to be near you. If you draw near to him, his word says he will draw near to you. That's not omnipresence. That's a relational presence of the Lord. Only here can we learn and in his presence. And usually it's best sometimes to, to do this some with others who know how to do this. It, here we discern the emotional movements of our own heart that accompany genuine encounters with God. You see, when you, when you have a sense of encountering God, it's like meeting with God, 
and thoughts come to you in that time and that's something to be very thankful for but you have to understand that beyond just the thoughts you have from those encounters the impact of encountering God is always greater there's a shifting that takes place in his presence worship preaching praying all of these things attract this kind of manifest presence of God you will have thoughts from that. Maybe you'll have pictures, you'll have words, you'll have scriptures come to mind. You'll have people who come to your come to your thoughts. Those are great things, and God is doing that in order to download, in a sense, your assignment. But what you have to understand is something even bigger than that's always happening. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are treasures, pleasures forever. I mean, we're, we're talking about the fact there are things that are shifting and there are things that are, that are impacting you that you, you, you won't completely know, but being in his presence, things will shift. And so as we open ourselves up to that impact and we allow ourselves to cultivate more and more a discerning heart, then we will actually begin to understand better the impact of receptive stillness in the presence of God. So, we start with this. I'm just trying to apply this, trying to prepare and, and maybe get a practice in your heart. The feelings that you have right now are not the fire to be put out, but they are the smoke detectors of your soul. Sounding an alarm when there is a fire. So if you can be in touch with what your heart is putting out in terms of feelings, you can begin to discern where the problems, where the fire really is. So think about when you're alone and you're in this place of receptive stillness. Think about how you've been feeling for these last few days. Be honest about it. Have you been up and down and all around? Has it been a persistent kind of feeling? Well, do you see a pattern? You know, just losing your temper when you're driving or, or just feeling some passing moments of fear are not a pattern. But if you see a lingering, low-level anxiety or you see, I just can't get rid of this anger. Uh, this person is just really on my heart. I'm really angry with this person. Then you start to be able to say, I've got some dominant feelings. I've got some dominating feelings. So that's what you want to look at. You want to look at, but please realize most of us are pretty dishonest about our feelings. Um, I, you know, I'm really, really angry. It's not easy to say when you've been a Christian. Or I'm, man, I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I'm really worried. You know, I, I hear people, I'm really worried. Now, I'm not talking about the sinful kind of worry, you know, <laughs> like what other kind is it? And so, you know, you could be concerned. I get it. But the I, when you use the word worry, you're using something that's indicative of a deeper issue in your heart. So you look at the dominant feelings and you begin to ask questions. Okay, what's underneath these? What's the root of? And what's the fire then? That really, you know, what's, in other words, you don't just say, I'm not going to worry. You say, well, what's the root of my worry? 
So let me give you some let me give you some clues, just some simple ones in these minutes that we have. Um, anger. So many of us many of us have a, 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 an expression of anger that comes easily, losing our temper, um, feeling rage, feeling frustrated, different forms of anger. Here, here, usually emotionally, here's a diagnostic tool of anger. Instead of saying, I'm not going to be angry, you say, wait a minute. Okay, anger is a result of somebody blocking an outcome, a goal, something that's important to me, something that matters to me. Either somebody's blocking me or there are circumstances blocking me that really, really matter to me. And the persisting anger means that the outcome or the result or the goal that I have has a place in my heart that it should not have. See, if I desire something, but I don't experience it, or, or somebody blocks me or takes it away from me, or, or somebody maybe criticizes me or, or hurts me because of that thing, if, if it's in its rightful place as a, as a healthy desire, um, none of those things will destroy me. I won't be furious. I won't be bitter. I won't say things like, this always happens to me. Somebody always gets the good and I always get the bad. Or a kind of thing where it just this real negative expression comes out. See, if obviously, if I want something and I can't have it, I'm going to be disappointed. But disappointment is healthy. Maybe I expected something and I can adjust. But when I have said my happiness is based on this, my satisfaction, my fulfillment, now I've made even a good thing into an ultimate thing, which means it has the place of God. It becomes an idol. Anger is usually an indica indication of an idol, of a desire, a goal, a result, an outcome that has become an idol. And somebody's blocking me. Or something and and it's very easy to get angry with God when he doesn't do what I desire anxiety is a second negative emotion very diagnostic very in some ways easy to diagnose when there's anxiety when there's worry it means I'm I'm feeling uncertain we human beings do not enjoy uncertainty I'm feeling uncertain about again an outcome a result a goal a desire but anxiety is the realization that something I want so badly or something I want to happen, not just for myself, it could be for others, family, friends, work, it could be anything. But I want this so badly, it matters so much to me. But I'm beginning to realize I don't have the control. I don't have a legitimate way of controlling this outcome. And so I begin to worry, fret be anxious. So I don't have this legitimate right and I don't have a, an ability to actually control this. It's in the hands of something or someone else outside of my control. Well, again, it means I've promoted a desire to the place where I'm, I'm saying, 
I know what would be best for me, and that would be if this happens. I know what would be best for them, and that would be if that happens. Do you understand? Anxiety is you putting yourself in the place of God and telling him how to run your life and to run others' lives. Anxiety is not an emotion that is ever to be given any access to you. Be anxious for nothing, because it makes you God, and God your assistant. Depression, it's similar to anxiety, but now what I really think I need or want feels hopeless. Either it feels impossible, this will never happen. The, the interesting thing about depression, and I'm not talking about chemical depression or other things, I'm talking about emotional depression. The interesting thing is, I still want it, and it's still affecting me, but my mind and my heart has said, this is impossible. It'll never happen. So you understand how easy this becomes an access for the devil. <laughs> because you want something that your heart says you'll never have. But you're still saying, I'll base my life, I'll make this thing ultimate that I will never experience or I'll never have or will never happen. You, know, you can see how irrational that is. But instead of beating yourself up, you look and you say, anger, anxiety, depression are diagnostic tools of desires, goals, outcomes that as a believer, I can trust God. I know that in all things he works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So the question that many of us wrestle with then is when all these negative emotions are coming up, what's the Holy Spirit up to? Well, he's up to deep healing. Because you see, you have a new identity, you have a new status. Anger, anxiety, depression, fear, are all pride-based. The need to control what you have no right to control is a pride thing. It's ego. It's a, it's a faulty, unhealthy sense of self. It's making good things, ultimate things. It's making something other than God your treasure. So the Spirit is bringing these things up and He's bringing them to the surface so that He can heal your identity, your sense of self, so that you function from a place, a resource of love and humility. Humility says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do all things in my flesh, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So how do I get both I would say, uh, brain chemistry-wise, as well as heart-wise, how do I get from fear to joy? How do I get back to joy, which the joy of the Lord is my strength, from fear-based negative emotions? Truthfully, every person I've ever counseled that was angry was actually fearful, and the anger was a power source over their fear. Every anxiety is fear-based, and every depression is I've Fear I'll never be happy, I'm depressed. So it's all fear-based. So how do we get from the crippling resource of fear, the paralyzing resource of fear, to the strengthening 
that joy does. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, here's, here's three things I'd like you to have today, okay? When you are going through things and you're experiencing things, you cannot keep them inside. You cannot get to joy without some validation of what you're feeling, what you're going through. If you just keep saying, well, I, I'm not really angry, I'm not really depressed, I'm not really discouraged, I'm not really frustrated. If you keep saying that, you'll never, you'll never get healed for what you won't reveal. So there needs to be a validation. You, I'm angry. I'm struggling. This is where counseling can come in. This is where friendships, small groups can come in. But you need validation. And sometimes you have to say things many times. Please, if, if anybody's ever told you, you just harp and harp on things, it's because you haven't gotten validation. So you keep saying it, saying. And a lot of times people who talk to me about these things, they're like, am I crazy, Pastor? I'm like, probably, but, but we're all a little crazy. Come on. Uh, I don't say that to them. I actually say to them, look, your feelings, there's, there's, there's a valid reason for your feelings, but let's unpack that. Let's see what the fire really is. This is just the smoke detector. And sometimes when you really start having discernment, you need some people to affirm you. Human beings need validation. But the other thing is, you don't need scolding when you're struggling. You need comfort. So you need someone to, you need validation. You need comfort, and you cannot overnight just get rid of deep moods, deep wounds without recovery. So think about this. If, I, if, if you go into a negative cycle, you're going to need to be validated, you're going to need to be comforted, and you're going to need time to recover. Now, part of being a healthy community is to give each other the space to do this, being a healthy family, being in healthy relationships. See, what we really need in order to go from fear to joy is that is what's called the relational happiness of knowing someone is happy to see you. So here's, here's what the church community should be doing. In other words, we, we should, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a God who is happy to see you. And because you're in Christ, you have a people who are happy to see you. See, joy, in a sense, comes from connecting to a happy-to-see-you God and to being with happy-to-see-you people. Validation, comfort, recovery. But peace, the shalom of God, this inner equilibrium, this well-being and a sense of security from living life really in harmony with what God has destined for you is also essential in this. So joy is a high energy experience that motivates you forward. Peace is a low energy experience but keeps you grounded. So here's an old hymn, so powerful. It says, a heart at leisure from itself to soothe and sympathize in some ways Unless your heart has this, both the energy of joy and the peace that keeps you grounded with a lower energy, stability, inner equilibrium, there's no room for you to soothe and to sympathize others. Now, as we try to get our healing and be discernment, 
One of the great writers, Robert Murray McShane, said this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. You'll see the face of the one who's happy to see you. You'll see the face of one who loves you. And his joy in you and will give joy to you. So will you receive that today? You, I'm validating you. I, I'm telling you you need comfort. I'm telling you you need space to recover. Because you need a heart at leisure from itself. So that then you have capacity to have compassion for others. God bless you.